Welcome to a News Laundry podcast. This is Global Summits. Where are we going? Hi, I'm Birad Swain and this is News Laundry podcast. Global Summits. Where are we going? In the last episode on COP21 curtain raiser, we heard from a few listeners that the introduction is a tad too long. And by the time panelists are brought in, one forgets the topic. Truth be told, we do want to challenge attention deficit and amongst news consumers especially one we want them to engage shauke didar hai to nazar paida kar we do want longer more meaningful engagement but we also want to listen to our listeners so straight to the topic today we'll discuss the world trade organizations ministerial which is to be held from 15th to 18th december at nairobi kenya it is the 10th ministerial conference and wto for our listeners has trade services agriculture patents all on the table so basically our lives and our children's lives and our shared destinies and in today's episode we shall discuss what is on the table why should we care we will do a status check on the doha round of trade talks and the bali ministerial and the progress and regress so far we'll also discuss india's pitch and participation on gats agreement on agriculture take stock of its positions vis-a-vis china united states and eu 28 and when i say eu 28 what i basically mean is that european union has 28 countries we'll also discuss why there is so much shrouded secrecy around trade talks from ttip tpp to tisa where is the sunshine and since we have a panelist who leads the medicines and frontiers access to medicine campaign and is part of the global team and has been part of the team teaching novartis the swiss farmer major a lesson or two in classic david versus goliath style we shall also hear from her and others what is india's response to the african countries appeal to not let down patients for patents finally we'll ask our panelists to express their expectations from this round we have a superb panel to discuss this but before i bring in the panelists i have a very good news to share we promised to break the menace of all male panels ie manels and we've kept the promise seventh episode seventh fortnight back to back today we also have a woman producer for the show mahima singh she has stepped in since our fabulous show producer kartik nijhavan is on chutti thank you mahima a big shout out to the mass communications and electronic media center of pondicherry central university the students of dr shoaib hanif and professor arul selvam santivel who helped with the guest lineup since i was in pondicherry last week and for all of you around the world you would have known tamil nadu and pondicherry has been pounded by unprecedented rain so the infrastructure is pretty dodgy but the students stepped up a big thank you guys and hope you tune in please remember programs like these are possible because of independent media if corporates pay corporates agenda is served if people pay your agenda is served please support news laundry please support independent media help us to keep news free we have with us today lena meghane advocate and lead of the medicines and frontiers access to medicine campaign for india and south asia for our listeners medicines and frontiers is a nobel prize winning charity which was at the forefront of the ebola response in liberia and west africa and also it has taken on the might of united states for the us killing and maiming patients at its kunduz hospital in afghanistan and yemen welcome to the show thank you very much Pradeep Singh Mehta Secretary General of Cuts International where Cuts stands for Consumer Unity Trust Society a pro consumer international body which is also keeping a close watch on the trade rules and practices and their impact on our lives Mr Mehta welcome to the show 
Devinder Sharma, journalist, trade analyst, political commentator and an icon for the agrarian movements, fair trade campaigns and a very progressive politics. Also, full disclosure, a close friend and to a certain extent a mentor. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. Finally, our first repeat panelist, Professor Sachin Chaturvedi, Director General RIS, where RIS stands for Research and Information Systems for South-South Collaboration. It is a think tank of the Ministry of External Affairs, yeah. Government of India. And he's a repeat panelist because he has some kick-ass publications on South-South Collaboration and is punching up in trade negotiations. Welcome, Sachin. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So, Pradeep, you have written a think piece on how the developing countries want the Doha round of trade talks to continue while United States wants it scrapped and move on to a new architecture thanks to the changed world order. Tell our listeners in exactly two minutes what is on the table at Nairobi and why should our listeners care? How are our listeners going to be impacted? The Doha round of the WTO was launched in the year 2000 and uh, 15 years have gone by without a satisfactory resolution. That's number one. The second point is uh, what is happening is as a result of that kind of uh, situation, uh, many countries are entering into free trade agreements, which includes India. The U.S., of course, uh, is leading the pack uh, <clears throat> with a very large deal covering a very large number of countries around the world, what is called the TPP, as you spoke about. And there's another one on the drawing table, Flat drawing board, uh, which is called the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership between U.S. and EU. So the appetite for pursuing Doha round seems to have diminished. Uh, the, what the U.S. is proposing is that we agree that these issues which are pending in the Doha round uh, should be addressed under a new architecture and let us call a close to the Doha round. Uh, my point is that as always, the developing countries are always in a catch-22 situation. They have very little power to negotiate uh, uh, because of the lack of that kind of strength. This is not to say that they do not succeed. They do often succeed, but then the situation as it stands today is uh, a kind of a, another impasse. That Are we prepared to call the Doha round closed? And the issues which have been worked upon uh, in the last 15 years, how could they be put into a built-in agenda? That is what uh, I am proposing. That's, uh, that's your proposal. We'll come to that in the next question. What our listeners would like to know is what is on the table for the Nairobi talks and why should our listeners care? See, one of the major issues is around agriculture and the issue of farmers, particularly in the poor world, uh, which includes India. I mean, India being one of the largest poor countries, and that is something which we would like to protect. Whether we are able to protect them in the manner that we think is best is yet to be seen. So the agreement on agriculture is on the table this time at the Nairobi Ministerial. Yeah. I mean, that has always been uh, the stumbling block in the trade negotiations ever since the Uruguay round. And Devinder Sharma is better equipped than yes, I am. We'll, to yes, we'll go, to that. we'll go to him also. So since you're the, this is the perfect segue to bring you Devinderji, Bataye, uh, why should the listeners care and what's on the table this time? I think that's very clear. This time uh, uh, at Nairobi, what is at stake is Indian agriculture, the future of Indian agriculture. Uh, if India does not uh, stand up uh, the way I expect it to stand, I think we have lost uh, agriculture. 
And uh, this is something which uh, we don't have to really cow down uh, under the pressure that is coming from the EU and the United States, which wants Doha to be uh, Doha round to be finished or completed at Nairobi. And if not, uh, as uh, the WTO Director General himself has been going around saying that uh, if it doesn't uh, conclude at uh, Nairobi, then the, the rich countries will not be interested. So what? So what? Hammers are not going to fall if the rich countries are not, not interested. I think we should worry, for, forget about uh, uh, those rich countries' interest, and we should look into India's interest. After all, this involves about 600 million farmers. What is at stake? Not only the peace clause or the, the exemption, permanent exemption for... Uh, uh, public distribution system and so on. But I think more important is uh, what will happen to Indian agriculture. They also want uh, the minimum support price uh, not to be enhanced and uh, you can't bring any other new crop into the MSP category. Secondly, they want uh, that all input subsidies on agriculture in India, as we all know, we provide the input subsidies. We don't provide direct subsidies like America or Europe does. And uh, they want these subsidies also to go. So in a way, they want Indian farmers to be pushed out of agriculture. And uh, this, I think, is more worrisome and should be concerning India more than what the world thinks about us. I think we should give a damn to what uh, America or Europe is worried about or concerned about. We should look into what our interests are. And I think that's why this uh, Nairobi negotiations is very crucial for, uh, as I said earlier, for the future of Indian agriculture. Okay, I think that's the perfect note. I know um, Sachin, this is probably putting you on this spot, but considering someone who has the wondrous job of actually advising India, providing the inputs and the intelligence and the positionings also. And I know negotiations are also an art in diplomacy. What do you think is on the table and why should our listeners care? Uh, thanks, Biraj, for, uh, uh, for this invitation. I think uh, uh, the important thing at this point is not what is on the table, but what is not there. That's, that's important. And, and uh, what is not on the table uh, uh, is, is something which is coming out from, uh, uh, from the G20 declaration. The way uh, uh, success of the uh, WTO... And for our listeners, G20 is the group of 20 countries. We just met recently in Antalya, Turkey, where Mr. Modi was also representing our interests. Yes. So my, my worry is that why uh, uh, India did not press for uh, inclusion of agriculture-related uh, provisions, which uh, uh, Devinderji is talking about at, at, at the G20 negotiations. Uh, we find a similar uh, statement and, uh, at the uh, uh, end of the APEC summit, which, uh, which was hosted just some time back. And if you see the text of the APEC declaration and the text of the G20 declaration, those four lines on WTO ministerial are all the more same. So, so this means that on the table, what we are expecting out of the success of, of WTO meeting in, in Nairobi, what do we mean by that? And in my view, uh, uh, explicit uh, recognition of a peace clause at WTO Bali meeting should have been mentioned. The trade facilitation agreement which India committed for is a permanent agreement which would be in force after certain ratifications and, and India should have ratified that because that's for the business. What about agriculture? And that I think I fully agree with Devinderji that uh, there are these issues which should have been articulated in a stronger voice. My second point, and, and uh, to re-emphasize uh, this point of what is not on the table, if you see the WTO website of, uh, 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 on the page WTO 10MC, 10, 10 uh, documents which have been submitted, there are only 20 documents. India has only one, which is in, in collaboration with 
seven other countries. My point is that on intellectual property rights, on agriculture, on uh, scope of patentability and, uh, and 27.3b, we have always had uh, some very strong positions. We should have resubmitted those papers. History should be repeated till we are through on this. Can you explain 27 clause 27.3b and also the peace clause for our listeners? Definitely. There is a subsidy uh, upper cap yes. and, and uh, peace for four clause. Years. Uh, for four uh, So upper clause, uh, uh, the upper limit gives you a sort of uh, uh, capping that is required for subsidies. Under peace clause, India at Bali uh, achieved this unique position where uh, India would not be dragged to, uh, to dispute panel uh, for violating this, this upper cap. So, so that's what uh, it is all about. On 27.3b, uh, the idea is in terms of uh, patentability of life forms. And, and uh, one after the other, particularly uh, the case came up in, in, in the US itself on, on breast cancer, when, when certain genes were patented and, and uh, the medical community, particularly led by a, a certain wing of students, uh, uh, in, in, in the US who led this movement in, in uh, US to oppose scope of patentability and of course the developing countries have been talking about irrespective of growth of uh, biotech related industry in this and, and the other developing world. So from that point of view we demanded that uh, scope be defined, the contours should be uh, explained and frozen but somehow developed countries have been evading that and this is happening right from pre-Cancun days. So you, this is not a great idea that these things are not on the table. And for our listeners, uh, full disclosure, um, Sachin actually collaborates with some of the most iconic thought leaders at this point of time, from Thomas Poge, who's actually asking for establishment of a global fund for vaccination research, to um, a few others, including Sanjay Reddy. Lena, you have been leading a campaign which has been very loud, very clear, patients over patents. The conversation has actually evolved beyond what is on the table but what is not on the table. So what do you think of what is on the table? And why should at least for once please answer this? Why should our listeners care? Our listeners should care because it's all about our medicines. And you know, uh, one thing is very clear that more and more millions of people in India are going into debt because of healthcare costs. Absolutely. Majority of those costs are relating to the cost of medicines. Um, you know, United States, Europe have all reached a pain threshold on the cost of medicines. It's a worldwide debate. It should have been center stage at the WTO. Uh, it's 20 years of an international agreement that mandated uh, patents on us. Uh, and we still don't have a review going at the WTO. Uh, so I would say it's about the fact that something which is life-saving, essential to, to us, is not at center stage of the debate in Kenya. On this 10th uh, ministry. Absolutely. And that leaves you disappointed, of course. Absolutely, because uh, in some ways it's a loss to India, because India has been sort of, in a way, reforming the patent system uh, in the manner in which it is a looking at scope of patentability. So if you are taking an old medicine and combining it with another one or coming up with a new dosage form or a pediatric version, it's just not patentable. And uh, what the US is trying to do is isolate us by negotiating separate free trade agreements that would undermine India's position on patentability. India should be far more proactive on these issues at the WTO. Well, or the US will take these issues bilaterally hmm. to other countries. We'll also discuss that considering India also hosted the India-Africa summit where some uh, 
Sachin's written a few op-eds about them and how all the 54 Afro nations actually came together to tell India to not stop being the pharmacy of the developing world. Pradeep, now let's go back to actually your think piece. So since this is an explainer series, please tell our listeners what is Doha Round of Trade Talks since this is the 10th ministerial and now also tell our listeners about why or what do you think about this US edginess about the Doha Round of Trade Talks continuing forever or rather with the new world order post-2008 meltdown should a new architecture come in? Viraj, you, you made a very good point in terms of negotiation. And what we have learned is that uh, negotiations can only succeed when there is a win-win situation. At the moment we can see there is a win-lose situation. There is a zero-sum game being played by the US. Uh, in order to bury the Doha round. Now what I'm saying is, if we can get the new architecture in place which picks up these residual issues which are not going to be addressed and takes it forward, uh, then <clears throat> let us try to do that. And that would require some skill and some strategy. Don't forget that the Nanobi Ministerial, there is a hope of getting an LDC package which is you know, the poor countries in the world, the poorest countries, and something on what is called export competition in agriculture. Now, if the Nairobi ministerial becomes another uh, collapsed event, uh, then uh, we would lose the, we would lose our friendship with the poorer countries in the world who are hoping to get this, what is called a low-hanging fruit out of the Nairobi ministerial. When I look at the political situation, Sachin, spoke very well in terms of what is not there on the table. Now, if you see this kind of gradual movement, and let's not forget, mention the Indo-African summit. There, Modi made the statement that the Doha round should continue to remain. But then, if you see the progress in other statements, the G20 and the APEC statement, uh, Doha round is hardly mentioned in the same spirit as it was mentioned in the Indo-African uh, Forum Summit. So uh, <clears throat> one has to see as to how the water is flowing. And in that water, wa what is it that we could do in order to ensure that the issues which are of concern to the developing world, and when I say developing world, which means both emerging as well as the least developed countries, you have to get the best out of the situation rather than to end up in, in front of a wall, uh, as happened in Seattle and in Cancun, the earlier WTO ministerial meetings. Now, as it is Viraj, uh, many people say that the Doha round is dead, uh, knowledgeable people. But on the other hand, what it has happened is that if you talk to educated people also, they believe that it is the WTO which is dead. Now, we have to protect the WTO's integrity the way it is. As it stands, the WTO is the best hope for the developing world. And if that loses its credibility totally, then we are in for bigger problems in future. Right. So um, this is also something which keeps recurring by the Director General of World Trade Organization, Mr. Azevado, that WTO does not belong to the Secretariat of WTO, but to the countries. And any day, as Lena said, one-on-one -on -one bilateral would mean nothing but bullying, but plurilateral agreements are any day better. But we also know that a lot of times voodoo numbers get stouted. And as one of the iconic economists, John Maynard Keynes said, the only purpose of economic forecasting is to make astrology sound respectable. 
<laughs> so the TFA numbers and the employment jobs numbers from the TFA have been challenged by not, no one less than Timothy Wise and many others. Um, full disclosure, Sachin has been practically bullied by our new great woman producer to come to this show, but he has a really important uh, meeting. So we would really, considering he represents the government think tank research view, and he's going to be breathlessly busy with the COP21 and the back-to-back -back Nairobi ministerial now. Before we let you go, I hope you are here for the next 20 minutes or plus. Uh, how do you react to what uh, Pradeep just said about uh, Doha having outlived its shelf life and the need to reinvent the wheel, but that plurilateral is the best way going forward, especially for the poorest countries? Uh, see, I think uh, uh, Pradeep has made Not a very... the best way forward. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, uh, that's the view we are getting from, uh, 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 from several uh, commentators. I would say that there are four issues which are extremely important for Doha round not to be worried, and, 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 and Pradeep echoed that. I think uh, uh, there is this unique effort by United States and their affiliated uh, uh, agencies and the countries whom they have co-opted in this uh, uh, task of uh, evolving free trade agreements across to benefit those countries through the market access in the, in the U.S. Number one, uh, the agreement on agriculture. We committed subsidy reforms by uh, European Union and also by the United States. They haven't undertaken that so far. This is one issue on, on, uh, of implementation which they should have addressed right at the outset after 95, which they have been postponing. Instead of implementing that in 1996, they got on what we call as Singapore issues. And, and those Singapore issues now, on name of new issues, are, are being encouraged to be considered by the WTO, bringing in labor standards, bringing in environmental standards, bringing in e-commerce, and now uh, the value chains. On name of value chains, the idea is to enhance the ambit to allow uh, foreign direct investment and tax uh, concessions. All of these issues, Biraj, you remember very well, under the debate on sustainable development goals, we opposed them at the at the uh, at this, uh, uh, illicit financial flows. And, and we recognize the point that uh, uh, the uh, development finance is possible only when the developed countries cooperate with us in terms of managing this. Under the uh, uh, task of this uh, global value chains, the U.S. proposal talks about these four features, which I just now mentioned, enhancing the gap. So, so, so that uh, that is something which they say uh, uh, Doha Round has has lived its life. No way, it should continue till all the four points are, are, are achieved. And, and I have already mentioned the third point about the intellectual property right. And fourth and the last one, which is very important, is NAMA, the, the uh, non-agriculture market access. All these four points are uh, from the south, and they should be addressed. Now, the question really is, and, and let me quote you, uh, last week, the Foreign Affairs has come out with uh, uh, proceedings of the uh, uh, Council for Foreign Affairs, uh, a, a US entity, and there they were discussing uh, rise of India and implications for U.S. and they say that India should engage with U.S. and U.S. should engage with India. But they say that uh, India's entry in APEC should be possible uh, only when India uh, is going to do away with the agenda like uh, Doha Development Agenda. Now, is this the point? Is this the precondition? Is that uh, what we want? 
I think India has responsibility to lead uh, South, but of course India has economic interest. I do not say that India should abide by uh, old standards. We are out of uh, TPP because we are not following certain standards, certain frameworks. Perfectly fine. Our consumers have all the rights to to uh, to have products of quality, and and we have the responsibility to ensure that certainly. But how our industry should go through the transition? This is what we need to ensure. So domestic preparedness to move forward the trajectory on high standards, the uh, economic reforms that are required, the regulatory reforms that are required, perfectly fine. We should go ahead for that. But this kind of bullying, this kind of preconditioning, and I'm also surprised uh, 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 you quoted uh, Biraj, the uh, Director General of WTO. I'm so surprised he's heading an international multilateral organization to which we are committed. He was the first one who congratulated United States and others who concluded TPP. What kind of uh, 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 global uh, uh, multilateral trade regime you are going to promote if you are going to be um, uh, um, uh, partying with the, with this kind of regional groupings? No yeah, way. I really hope you are there because we will be talking about the shrouded secrecy around all these trade talks. And exactly. TPP, I think the copyright is a bit of a science fiction. It has Scroll has published a lot of articles and we will be providing our listeners links about how TPP now talks about copyright, which is about the creator's lifetime plus 70 years, which means imagine hypothetically a Jane Austen's novel classic cannot be published almost 150 years after Jane Austen's demise. So Pride and Prejudice and iconic works like that will never get published because that goes on to the lifetime of the creator of the work plus 70 years. But That's hold on Biraj, you uh, should ask Lena and, and she would bail me out. Uh, uh, most of the life sciences work now are being protected under copyright and not under patent because they are being uh, researched on 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 computational uh, uh, work which is being protected under copyright so the basic drug development under uh, uh, the kind of uh, value chain that the drugs are coming up with because the new drugs are not coming from chemicals they are coming from plants so you need to scan thousands of plants and and they are being done through bioinformatics and this bio informatics is convergence of biotechnology and informatics so this bioinformatics is doing thousands and thousands of scanning and that all is being protected through copyright so 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 you are completely excluding the countries who are legats in the technology race we'll come to that when we come to the tpp so um this is the perfect segue after um uh, sachin's passionate intervention to bring you in you be you've i have i've heard you quote uh, Martin Luther King Jr. oftentimes about how it's just to break and wreck unjust laws and a no deal is better than a bad deal. So since this is an explainer series, please tell our listeners about number one, what is peace, peace clause? What is the Uruguay agree, uh, uh, agreement on agriculture? And what, how differentially does it treat countries like India vis-a-vis -vis US and European Union? And why Doha round can continue as long as we actually find a just and fair deal? Too many questions, but let me start, uh, Biraj. Before I answer your question about the peace clause, what it means, you know, I, I sometimes wonder this statement that, uh, you know, OWTO is very important. You know, I remember in 95 also, this was what was talked about, that, uh, you know, if we don't have WTO, if we don't have an international multilateral trade regime, then we will, each country will have to go in for bilateral agreements, and that will be too cumbersome, too laborious, too difficult for us, and that would mean, uh, you know, a whole lot of other problems. 
but if you look at it now, I think there are about 300 bilateral agreements already in pipeline. So what are we discussing? We also have WTO and we also have the bilaterals. So if bilaterals were so bad, I don't know why the world is still going on with bilaterals, uh, which is mostly WTO plus and TRIPS plus. So I think there is something wrong with our uh, with our argument, uh, whether it was in 1995 or in 2015. I don't know, we, because we go on we go on defending WTO. I think, as I said, very in the very beginning when the WTO was formed, I said it was a wrong trade organization. WTO actually stands for wrong trade organization. Now, having said that, and I still maintain it, you know, developing countries have a habit of patting themselves at the back. But if you look at it, gradually over the years, we have lost out. We have lost out on all that we were supposed to defend. You know, one by one, gradually we, we, we have been losing out, and I think intellectual property rights was a classical case when we sacrificed IPRs for the sake of uh, what we are going to gain by way of uh, multilateral trade. Now, having uh, said that, uh, even at this WTO, if, as, uh, as our friend Sachin said, and also, uh, you know, Pradeepji said that uh, if uh, on the table uh, we are talking about those issues, but behind the table, or let's say beyond the table, we are talking about uh, you know WTO being a perfect uh, model for us, and we have to see to it that it is completed uh, or, or so on, as the APEC and G20 statements uh, say. And I think we have already we have already uh, you know finished off uh, uh, the, the WTO issues, uh, you know, which is quite visible now. Now, having said that. Uh, the peace clause means that uh, one thing which I have said even at that time in July 31st, uh, 2014, when India was coming uh, in the way, as many thought, uh, to what is the, uh, the, the, the trade facilitation agreement, TFA agreement, and if India had said uh, no uh, to this agreement on agriculture or not accepted uh, the peace clause at that time, which means it's a kind of exemption. For the, for the number of years, uh, no member country will take us to dispute panel uh, for the kind of subsidies we give on agriculture. And uh, that was uh, what is PP's clause. But it also says that uh, you cannot um, uh, export these uh, subsidized grains uh, if it distorts markets and somebody can, of course, take us to dispute panel on that. That still stays. That is why India wants a permanent uh, uh, exemption and not a peace clause, which is a temporary exemption. Now, that is one argument, which I think at that particular time, I was at least one who said there is no need for India to buckle. We should go in for a permanent, we should go for a seek a permanent uh, exemption rather than fall prey to this uh, this uh, lobbying that happens in, within India, more so happening outside, where a lot of people start saying that, oh, India is uh, blocking international trade, and so India should uh, accept it, and so on and so forth, which I think is rubbish. And they, these are the kind of people who actually sold India's interest, uh, is what I've been saying for, for long. And uh, I, I don't want to make any bones about it. The fact is, even now, you will see a, a human cry or a kind of a noise or a or, or a, you know loud noise being created, being saying that oh India should forget about agriculture, India should accept what the what the US and EU and the world wants, and so so that that kind of chorus you will see now. So these are the people who are more damaging, and these are the same people who went to G20, who went to the APEC meeting and signed or or sang the same kind of um, song uh, or the language which the rich countries want us to do. So I think sometimes I wonder whether the kind of senior posts, senior people in India are actually representing India or are actually representing other countries' interest in India. So I think uh, this is something because the academia, because the intellectuals, because the people who whose voices heard do not uh, stand up, stand up and speak. That is why we are losing out at one or the other stage. 
uh, I don't see much hope in the WTO because after TPP comes in, uh, you know, I think everything has been demolished by that time. So what TPP will bring in, I, what, are, what are we so proud of, then WTO left behind uh, or what would we agreeing on? So I think uh, this is something which we need to worry about. But uh, I personally feel that India stakes are very, very high this time at WTO. And uh, I only pray that the Indian economists and Indian lobbyists, the mainland economists, do not stand up in chorus to defend America and Europe this time also. So for our listeners, the three um, acronyms which have been bandied around in the show till now, TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, between the countries, primarily US, and the countries from the Eastern Rift on the side of Pacific. And Please remember, China and India are not part of it, as Sachin said. The second is TTIP, Transatlantic Trade Investment Partnership Agreement between US again and European Union, primarily on the borders of Atlantic Sea, Atlantic Ocean. And the third is TISA, a Trade in Service Agreement. Lina, I think um, your thoughts would count, considering it's patent over patentability <laughs> and patience over patent and is even WTO, I'm actually a little confused now and I don't want our listeners to be confused. So when we are saying WTO and we are saying plurilateral, they are not exactly one and the same thing. So probably people are voting for plurilateral and at the same time also making a chorus noise for reforming WTO, not exactly plurilateral and WTO in the current form. Your thoughts? So my thoughts are very essentially linked to uh, what we know about medicines. Um, you know, monopolies lead to high prices because local production is out of uh, question and patents and copyright and other kinds of intellectual property do that um, to the fact that, you know, generic medicines from India may no longer be available. Now, um, I would say there's certain contradiction in the fact that uh, developing countries should ask for certain things at the WTO, including a review of the agreement that calls for a major reform of the patent system. And it's 20 years and they haven't asked for that or haven't pushed hard enough to get that. At the same time, we tend to contradict ourselves when, for example, I was reading a recent Cuts article on the regional economic uh, agreement, ASEAN plus six, and um, they argued that India should actually sign the RCEP. Now, if you look at the devil in the details, why is intellectual property being be even being negotiated in RCEP and other free trade agreements? It's to undermine Indian generic medicines. Um, so if you want the WTO to work, we must push our weight behind the reform system, the development agenda, and of course, review of agreements such as the TRIPS agreement. Now, at the same time, if we are very keen to sign agreements like the TPP and RCEP, we are contradicting ourselves because IP is going to be on the table and it's no point reviewing TRIPS at the WTO. Next thing I wanted to say is TPP is one of the worst agreements for access to medicines. Um, it not only extends monopoly terms, it brings on exclusivity over data, um, it brings in uh, uh, patent linkage, it brings in a number of other provisions which are very problematic for India's supply to other countries. Um, there are a number of developing countries in there and middle-income countries in there. There's Malaysia in there. And of course, Indonesia is now thinking of signing the TPP. Um, and I think um, that would be a big, big, big loss to India. So now India needs to gear up to counter the TPP. Um, most importantly, because it needs to safeguard access to medicines. But even if it is, doesn't care about the lives of patients as much and about its own industry more, it needs to think about how generic production and supply, its own industry that helps make in India, 
um, survive this onslaught from the United States in the form of TPP? Um, and this is a very crucial question and crossroad for India. But uh, isn't it, uh, I've, I've heard it oftentimes, especially in the public health campaigns and the public health assembly meetings also, that while India does this moral positioning of fighting for generic access to generic drugs and also gives the cheap alternative, especially in the antiretroviral AIDS treatment and all of that. Internally also the pharma majors are practically asking the same terms and the same protections as the big farmers of US and Switzerland have been pushing forward. So how does that even up? How does that square up? I think are that's they, untrue. Are I, I, I think ones are also no, no. protesting that kind of monopoly. No, absolutely desires. not. Absolutely not. If you're looking at currently Ranbaxi, um, DRL, Dr. No, Reddy's labs. Uh, no, I, I don't think so. DRL is actually asking for the TPP to be signed. I think it's a misnomer that way. What I really wanted to say is that you have to look at the fact that a number of Indian companies have now are in management control of multinational companies. They are subsidiaries of multinational companies in the generic business. They're bound to actually reiterate what the parent company is likely to say. Whom we really need to consult are the emerging companies. For example, uh, mid-sized companies like Natco, uh, Virkao, uh, and more emerging uh, producers who actually have to deal with intellectual property barriers to get the API formulated, make the medicines. What is API? It's I'll the raw that. materials for medicines. Even at the stage of raw materials, we are seeing more and more intellectual property uh, barriers. Um, then you are seeing lots of patents on newer drugs. Um, and, and this is an issue, a very big burning issue for the industry, if you want to call it, the ones that actually are interested in supplying developing countries. If you are interested in supplying the United States where a majority of the drugs are going off patent, well, if that is the reason why India built this industry, not for developing countries and India itself, but for simple export, then it becomes like China. Uh, the reason why I'm raising the question of China, China can export a number of medicines, the raw materials out, but it cannot itself utilize those medicines because of patent barriers in their own country. And this is a very big question before China and India. How do you reform the patent system so that it allows you to export medicines, but also you know, helps you save lives, millions of lives in your own region and your own country. Um, in that sense, the TPP and the RCEP are the wrong prescription. Okay. Sachin, before we let you go, since you did mention, and that was the perfect segue also to mention, you did mention about the technology and knowledge transfer clause in the financing for development, and one of your long-term collaborators, Carlos Correa of South Center, says that it's all that energy for everything retrospective, and what about things prospective? And Lena has already talked about the not-exclusivity of data. I understand that was the reason why Australia and Japan actually withdrew mid-talks also uh, as a resistance and a snub to US. So why don't you, in your closing remarks before you leave, since we have the three other kick-ass panels and the kick-ass publishing panelists leaving us, tell us exactly about what are your concerns and why did the FFT, the Financing for Development Summit, which by the way for our listeners was the opening episode of this entire series, did not transfer into the agenda on the table in Nairobi? Uh, see, there are now efforts by uh, different stakeholders. Uh, uh, if you see, uh, around 12 countries have submitted papers to WTO, uh, 10 MC to uh, uh, to see uh, that SDG-related uh, issues are uh, are are considered. There are specific provisions, 14.6, uh, uh, for instance. Uh, 
uh, targets this uh, idea of uh, access to medicine. It, it brings out very uh, clearly that sustainable development goals be linked with the with the uh, Nairobi WTO ministerial. So, so, so uh, the developments related to uh, post-2030 development agenda should not be undermined. And uh, uh, the idea that uh, trade would be promoted uh, at all costs should be uh, sort of uh, uh, the underlying theme uh, in the in the larger rubric of uh, SDGs. That's point number one. Point number two is in terms of uh, the fact that uh, uh, the uh, uh, 60s and 70s we saw. Uh, uh, trade uh, taking precedence in terms of providing attraction to the growth in GDP. 90s was was, was a peak period when uh, the growth in uh, in trade was uh, was was far more than the average growth in GDP all over the world. Much before 2008 recession hit us, we we find and and uh, and Sanjay has uh, has empirically shown how uh, the uh, trade now uh, has become a drag. To, to GDP growth and and and, and the fact that uh, the impetus which we require from trade for larger economic growth is not happening. It's it's not happening in any part of the world. Uh, leave aside uh, uh, the recession hit uh, countries. So from that point of view, excessive obsession with trade is is something which is going to adversely affect. So that's why the f larger focus on sustainable development goals is is far more important. And developing countries would would have to play that role. India would have to play that role at the Nairobi WTO Ministerial. You have a really tough task ahead considering you're actually squaring up and seeing that the continuum continues from financing for development to sustainable development to COP21 and WTO. So all the very best for that. Thank you for joining us. And like I told our listeners that he is not a repeat panelist without a reason. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, now let's be... Yeah, um, doesn't matter. <laughs> Please go on. So now let's talk something at the heart of journalism and journalistic ethics, sunshine disclosure. Julian Assange of WikiLeaks declared an award of 200,000 US for anyone who leaks the document of TTIP. Recently, Roberto Bissio, the Uruguayan thought leader, has written a stinging piece on secrecy around TISA. And Uruguay is snubbing the US by pulling out from transatlantic Atlantic trade partnership to trans-Pacific partnership to trade in services and agreements. Everything is in shrouded secrecy. Why? Whose purpose does it serve? And should we bring more sunshine? And if yes, how? Pradeep. Yeah, let me just uh, respond to two points which are made by Sachin. One is Council for Foreign Relations. The U.S. is not a U.N. body, which he uh, erroneously suggested. Secondly, uh, I find it... Uh, very difficult to, to appreciate that trade is not related to growth. Uh, that I think is a very, uh, uh, <clears throat> very difficult uh, point for me to understand or for anyone to understand. Having said that, let me answer your question. The TTIP text is available publicly, uh, whether or not Julius Assange offered that prize or not. But uh, it was not available publicly during the negotiations. No, stage. one second. I would like to clarify that to cuts, actually, and to our listeners. The TTIP 
uh, agreement was made public on the demands of the European Parliament, who got really nervous about the agreement being signed with the United States. Why? Because US corporations are notorious for suing governments across the world from, you know, clean energy to uh, uh, tobacco legislation to pharma companies suing uh, Canada. They are absolutely notorious and they were worried that their environmental and other standards would come under scrutiny when they were taken to arbitration and they would have to pay millions if not billions of dollars in damages to the United States corporations. And that is what led to greater transparency in the TTIP. What we are demanding now, similar um, transparency and I would say um, the ASEAN parliaments, Indians, everybody should stand up and say that our parliaments and our system have equal rights to scrutinize these free trade agreements. Um, if not, why do we have the constitution and why do we have a parliament? If you're going to sign away rights or you're going to sign away standards and you're going to sign away everything and then come post haste and say we already signed the TRIPS agreement, now you have to rubber stamp it. Um, I think you're just that, basically undermining the sovereignty of countries like that and that's why the European parliament stepped in and actually, I would also like to see the RCEP text. And I believe Katz has done an analysis and said that India should sign the RCEP. So I would really request you to put the RCEP text in the public domain. Because you can't make such an analysis and make such a sweeping statement that RCEP should be signed without looking at the text. And this is one of the issues that all of us are facing today. Greater transparency in negotiations so that think tanks like RSS and others can actually scrutinize these deals for what they really offer to developing countries. Yes that, yes, that was Lena. That was Lena. And uh, respond. Yes. Just a moment. Yes, I can't let go of this. Of course, please respond. No. Uh, one let me but, let but me no, Pradeep jump in but, because I have to go. Yes, so, but Sachin, Sachin. But before that, for our listeners again, no, it, it Lina, is Lina for has India. Me to let me respond to her. Absolutely. Sachin, before you go. And I believe you spoke about certain uh, safeguards. And if you could list those safeguards, it would be fantastic. Because according to our own analysis, we haven't seen those safeguards. So clearly, um, Katz has access to the text that we don't have access to. So we love to discuss the actual safeguards in these free trade agreements on the basis of which Katz is actually uh, advocating for us to sign these free trade agreements and jump in the US backwagon of the TPP and the RCEP. Look, in one manner or the other, TPP and RCEP are going to be intertwined. Absolutely. That's why I'm asking you the question. Seven, seven members of TPP are going to be members of RCEP also. Absolutely. We better be prepared to uh, face the world as it comes along, number one. Number two is, when you're talking in terms of secrecy and disclosure, Lena, do you know that if you go before a parliamentary standing committee in India, all the proceedings are in camera. You can't even share your declaration outside until the standing committee discloses, uh, prepares and submits a report. So let's not talk about transparency, etc. Every body, every institution has its own norms, whether you agree with them or not. Se secondly, in terms of the European Parliament, let us not forget that <clears throat> since an amendment which happened about three years ago, European Parliament is now empowered to ratify any agreement with the EU enters into which a power it did not have earlier. Yes, so the Lisbon Treaty. The Council of Ministers. Yes, uh, since actually Sachin does is part of the MEA think tank, so Sachin, why don't you 
do say what do you think. Please weigh in on this argument before you leave. See, about the uh, shroud uh, of secrecy, uh, about the transparency, if existent, imaginary, what is it? See, one, one can understand that uh, uh, the negotiating partners probably would like things to be uh, uh, within certain limits before the offers are, are because it is, you know, uh, an evolving process. No one knows what would, would happen. So so you can't have a sort of, uh, but definitely uh, I, I fully agree that uh, uh, the parliamentary scrutiny has to be introduced in India. So far, we have no system where uh, pre-agreement uh, uh, text is, is cleared by any committee of the parliament. What we have is the executive responsibility under which uh, the Dunkel draft came to, uh, uh, to our government, uh, under which uh, uh, somebody made some statement on, on uh, the amount of gain that would be there. Uh, I think Devinderji was very right when he said that uh, uh, w w the figures which were claimed by certain economists in 1994 before WTO concluded, where have they all disappeared? And, and who is responsible to Parliament for, for whatever hasn't happened? Why did we agree for 1986 uh, uh, to 1988 uh, 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 figure for uh, uh, calculating the agriculture subsidies? Who is answerable for that? Those are the issues which are extremely important to, to maintain that probity which we talk about in, in, in public life and in our international commitments. I can fully appreciate the point that uh, uh, there are uh, certain uh, uh, secrecies to be maintained before, like what we see in negotiations, the green room. Where you go, you, uh, you propose, you, uh, you get rejected, you come up with new ideas, and, and those parlance are on. This is uh, not something which is uh, frozen right from day one. It's an evolving uh, uh, text for, for all the negotiations. So, so those of us who, are, who have seen the system from, uh, from close proximity, we know that that's how it works. But then the issue really is that that kind of uh, check and balance is extremely important. And in a democratic country, it's all the more important. Why U.S. president had to struggle for fast-track authority, everyone knows. And, and still, uh, uh, U.S. Congress gave that. We also know what, what prevailed and why U.S. president was pressurized to give. Uh, uh, it was not the Congress. The, the industrial lobby, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the pressure from the, from the private sector was immense. That's what is, is, is driving. Now, Pradeep, coming back to you, I think I said uh, uh, U.S. and not U.N. for council. Everyone knows foreign affairs is, 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 is a private entity. Second, uh, uh, I think uh, there was some confusion in Trade terms of... Trade as a block uh, to growth. Yes, exactly. And, 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 and this is, is, is amply clear. Please pick up uh, Danny Roderick's latest book and, and you would get the numbers. And we will provide the link for Danny Roderick's latest book also. Having said that, David, you have been someone who's actually unrelentingly writing and covering the trade negotiations. And part of the reason for our listeners why the Global Summit started is we realized that Dunkel draft, when that was on the table, the public engagement and the public mainstream discourse was far more, while media was much less. Now we have over-present media, but much less engagement on issues like this, which is why it was important to start a conversation on all these issues. So since you've been a practicing journalist and you're still writing and commentating, what are your thoughts on this shrouded secrecy on trade negotiations? You know, what I'm trying to say is that there is some kind of secrecy that is required. We all agree with that. 
uh, you know, when you are preparing, a, 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 let's say, you are having discussions in the green room, and when finally you uh, jot down a draft, that's all okay. But once the draft is ready, it, it should be discussed openly. There's no reason why you should keep, keep it as a secret document, and uh, then in the end, uh, we, we are made to sign on a secret document. I completely, I completely agree with uh, Lena that the TPP is, uh, is a document which, at least uh, if, thanks to European Union, that we have got the draft out now. But even then, it is not being discussed uh, the way it should be openly. And they also the way uh, you know, the country should be demanding or accepting public opinion, uh, public voices and public criticism or public uh, you know, inputs into these kinds of agreements is not being accepted. It's basically a corporate uh, job that we all have to actually follow. Uh, you know. So that reminds me of what uh, happened before 1857. Uh, we are coming back to the days of Company Raj. You know, this is literally what is Company Raj. No, Company Raj was only prevalent in India, but I, now I think it is going to be all over the world now. And somehow, you know, those people who have been on the negotiating table uh, or have been participating in the negotiation, you know, one expects them to be more, uh, you know, uh, not only articulate, but more uh, seeking insights and uh, uh, standing up or fighting for uh, not secrecy, but for openness and uh, transparency and let the world know what exactly we are going to get in the days to come. So I think that is a very important thing. Somewhere I find our negotiators, uh, they may be trying their best, but somehow, uh, especially in this, uh, as you rightly said in the beginning, you said um, new world order are finding it difficult. As I'm, I'm really asked to know that in the G20, uh, the G20 for that matter, uh, and now the TPP, and talking about pushing F, uh, you know, FDI in uh, multi-billion retail very aggressively. I think I remember the Toronto declaration of G20 was also made it very clear that countries must, member countries must open up to FDI retail. They are not concerned about these, the, the SDGs uh, that, uh, you know, our friend uh, Satish and uh, he talked about. Uh, and I heard the Prime Minister say somewhere that uh, the trade negotiations, the trade agreement should also be in tune with the SDGs during one of his recent travels, uh, which perhaps must be uh, from, from what the uh, RIS has been recommending. That's a good sign. But yes, uh, at the national level, at the international level, the way the negotiations are being kept uh, in secrecy, I think uh, we are uh, faced with a, with, with a lot more trouble than what we anticipate today. Coming back to the issue of media, now that's a very, very uh, difficult point to make. Uh, I have no idea why the media has gone quiet now. Now I don't find uh, uh, many journalists talking about WTO, except for those who can get published in economic times now or the business papers the point i'm trying to make is uh, uh, there is uh, some something uh, i don't know a lost interest or perhaps the media is not interested that even now i find uh, when the nairobi ministerial is around the corner not much is in the media as you would know and uh, not much is also uh, in, in, the, in the public domain as far as the Nairobi ministry is concerned. I think we, uh, as, as people who are also involved with the farming communities, uh, we recently had a meeting in Bangalore where, where all major organizations, farmers' organizations came, and the resolution has said very clearly that India should not bow down to the pressures uh, at Nairobi. problem is that uh, the biggest risk is, you know, half-information. And that gets distorted, uh, and people don't understand, uh, 
you know, and even wrong impressions are carried forward. So we need <laughs> we need better media professionals in our country in order to deal with many of these complex issues. I mean, even Viraj, with due respect, even this debate that you're conducting on the thing, it's good to, you know, <clears throat> good to understand the things in, in their depth. I mean, you, these things are not as simple as this. Trade negotiations are very complex. And uh, one looks at the totality of any trade package rather than, you know, one, one off. Uh, you can't, because there are always trade-offs involved. And that is one of the reasons why there is secrecy involved in trade negotiations. If you're going to be negotiating trade-offs, mm. you can't be seen showing all your cards uh, right at the, you know, uh, publicly also, because then there would be sector lobbies who would work against it. Right. So uh, it's, not, uh, it's not as simple as it sounds. Uh, it, it just it surprises me because uh, Medicine Sans Frontiers, who works on patient rights, has a completely different position, and I, 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 I would I be very careful. Think, no, no, I would just be very. If, if, you can, job, if you can, if you, can, if, if, uh, if you can, just, if, if you can just let me complete what I'm saying. I'm just but simply. But I think the point he is making. No, no, cast no, 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 no. The please, point he's making. No, let me just okay. please complete this. This is the argument that governments and trade negotiators from the U.S. have put forward, that we should keep all trade negotiations and text in complete secrecy. Firstly, why should parliamentary uh, standing committees and oversight be cut out from that process. Number two, where is your negotiating position? Today, the European Parliament is asking for European Commission to put out its negotiation position. Um, there are a number of other other measures that you can take to un to basically allow an equalizing of the negotiating powers that countries like India have. Uh, lastly, I think the whole issue, I, I think trade negotiators themselves would not agree with cuts uh, on this issue because that's why they've been leaking all these drafts. Uh, if they agreed with the US position that everything must be um, under complete secrecy, um, uh, other trade negotiators from other countries would not be leaking these uh, uh, documents in the public domain. Uh, the reason why WikiLeaks has access uh, to the TPA, TPP uh, text uh, is largely due to the fact that trade negotiators themselves feel uncomfortable keeping their own parliaments and, and accountability bodies out from, from what is being negotiated. Um, as, as someone who's worked really closely in this area, I would say um, when the negotiating positions in the WTO were put out, it has actually benefited developing countries rather than actually being in the negative. Um, lastly, I would like to say is this, that it's, it's just not acceptable uh, that in this, uh, when we are talking about transparency, that we, came, we, we choose to pass uh, such oversweeping, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, provisions on on very different areas: automobile, uh, medicines, um, you know, agriculture, services, government procurement, and not have any I kind of scrutiny and accountability the in the made. system. Yes. You could have one corrupt yes, negotiator trading all of it away, Lina, and we have to do something about it. Yes, Lina, the point has been made, and for our listeners, I do think. Um, uh, th there's a bit of a disadvantage since Mr. Pradeep is actually joining via phone. But I think there's a lot of agreement on the fact that especially the series, the whole logic of this entire Global Summit series was because it's about our lives, our shared destinies, our children's life. 
So there, and I think nobody, absolutely nobody can disagree with the fact that there has to be parliamentary uh, oversight, especially in democracies, and especially when country interests and our future interests are being negotiated. Should during the thing is work in progress, or should it be after it has been inked and the ink is dry? Is that too late for any transparency? I think that's uh, the debate which is over here all about. But having said that, um, we have to move on to the last question. I, this is also one of the reasons why it's very important for our listeners to be much more engaged and read up much more and do not forget the topic only because the introduction is a tad too long. That is, that these are summits where our future, our shared destinies, our children's destiny are being talked about, are being negotiated, which is why parliamentary oversight, public scrutiny, unrelenting coverage, as Devinder Sharma has been doing, or Pradeep has been saying, the, the problems of doing uh, drafting negotiations under sunshine, all of this has to be uh, debated and discussed. Finally, the Director General of WTO, Azevedo, keeps reminding all of us that WTO actually belongs to the, all the countries and not just about the Secretariat. And he also says that perception, public perception is being built or broken only based on the Doha round of talks rather than all the supposedly good work it does on admin, uh, arbitration, dispute resolution, monitoring and evaluation and capacity building. And um, uh, Pradeep, you've actually written a fairly sane and settling uh, think piece on the need to also look at other aspects of WTO's uh, work, that is dispute resolution, arbitration and all of that. What are your thoughts on this? And finally, what are your expectations also from this particular round? At this point, it's very difficult to say as to what will happen in Nairobi. The think piece that I wrote was, how can we salvage the situation and move forward? And uh, it's a viewpoint. Uh, not necessarily everybody will agree with it. People have been arguing, including Devender, on this particular uh, debate, that you, the Doha round has to continue now. It's been 15 years. The point which I'm trying to make is, can we start with a clean slate? I'm not suggesting at all that those issues in the Doha round, which are of our, close to our heart, should be dropped. I'm not suggesting that at all. Why should they be dropped? He spoke about uh, input subsidies, for example. Now, that is something which Sachin rightly pointed out, that our executive failed in, you know, uh, in bringing forward these issues at the right point of time. Uh, now, can we learn from all this uh, and see as to how we can move forward rather than to uh, say that, look, we are not going to move forward at all? Because then that could become much more. Uh, let me give you one particular example which is relevant to the discussion that we've had. A large number of free trade agreements are being entered into by all countries in the world. In fact, it has been happening ever since the WTO came into the being. There is a section in the WTO which deals with free trade agreements. It deals with, and it's, but that has never been activated at all. It's called Section 25. And what is Section 25 for our listeners? Section 25 deals with the issues of free trade agreements and the World Trade Organization. And how can they be made compatible? And for one reason or the other, it has never been it has never been activated at all. And we are suggesting that it is better not to late. Let's not forget one more point, Biraj, that 
India has always been a reactive uh, country and it has not been a proactive country, which we need to do. And today, when you look at the situation in Nairobi, even China is not willing to support us. Uh, they have taken a back seat. We have only South Africa and some other countries which are supporting our very strong position. And as such a narrative, <clears throat> how the whole, the international discussions on this particular issue have been diluted from the Indo-Africa Forum Summit to the G20 to the APEC. What does it show? I mean, we have to be practical and move forward. This is the point what I'm trying to make. Okay. Thank you so much for taking time out and joining us. Lena, no, Devinderji, we would like no, we would like you to wrap it up for us. So you have to stay back. Lena, I really want to, especially with your experience of also taking on the Swiss Pharma major and also doing direct treatment support to, uh, to, uh, in access to medicine. I would really like you to delve upon the idea that do you think we are over-focused and over-obsessing over the Doha round rather than looking at all the supposedly great work about dispute resolution? I would imagine if the law itself and the draft itself is dodgy, then everything else would be by that line. But about also the other work, I think as an explainer series that it also does dispute resolution, arbitration, monitoring and evaluation and things like that. And also your candid thoughts on what do you think will happen at Nairobi? Well, I, I think uh, in Nairobi, um, agriculture is going to be at the center of the negotiations and debate. Um, number two is this, that uh, the least developing countries on pharmaceuticals have got an extension beyond 2030 yeah. uh, to import or make their own medicines, which is um, welcome but disheartening because the United States single-handedly uh, stopped the extension from extending till the time they were LDCs. Mm -hmm. Uh, lastly, I would say this, that um, if the WTO really wants to assert itself in the whole trade regime, uh, it needs to start doing some of the things that developing countries have been demanding, including the review of international agreements like TRIPS. Um, and lastly, I would say, uh, one of the most interesting cases at the WTO uh, have been on two areas. One is on clean energy and the other is on uh, tobacco. Now, if you look at um, Philip Morris, it has taken Australia and other countries um, to, to the WTO dispute resolution for bringing in plain packaging laws. And, and of course, uh, the WTO needs to provide uh, leadership by clearly saying that the whole purpose of the trade agreement was not to undermine public health. Health. Um, secondly, for example, India's own solar mission, where it sort of uh, says that certain amount of um, procurement, of government procurement would be reserved for uh, domestic producers as a way of improving technology within the country is again at the center of a dispute. Now, if you look at climate change or you look at medicines, uh, these are the issues that are obviously being taken to the WTO dispute uh, resolution mechanism. Uh, and the resolution and the manner in which they are resolved will also uh, be have an impact on the way developing countries view WTO. Um, so this is this is something that we really have to see how the WTO dispute panel uh, looks at the tobacco case uh, and and views the whole debate between the United States and India on on solar energy on solar technology. And if I may add to that list, also I understand some of the telecom companies who actually lost their contract because of that massive 3G scam because of the judicial injunction have also taken government of India to the dispute resolution panel. Is that right? 
I don't know whether they took them to arbitration under the bilateral investment agreements, mm -hmm. uh, which is a completely different forum where corporations can sue governments. Mm -hmm. In this case, of course, it's government suing governments. Uh, one of the benefits of the WTO would be that corporations can't sue governments. It's actually government to government dispute resolution. So it sort of protects countries like India against the onslaught of companies like Novartis and so on. Right. But what, what dispute resolution and where is a very important issue. And of course, there's a lot of forum shifting by the United States and others uh, so that they can actually sort of take um, some of this dispute uh, resolution to private arbitration uh, away from parliamentary or judicial scrutiny um, and and these bilateral investment agreements um, and there's an investment chapter in RCEP there's an investment chapter in uh, TPPA um, one thing I could say is, is, is do a consumer alert sort of thing um, every time the government acts whether it's in Germany uh, to you know phase out nuclear energy and go towards other forms of energy or whether it's India who moves towards um, um, better access to medicines, or it's um, Canada, Australia, looking at plain packaging laws. Every time we do that, there's going to be a dispute uh, using these investment rules. So I would really say this, it's time to actually review these free trade agreements and a position on them. The last thing I would say is this, that Brazil and South Africa have deliberately chosen to keep out of these bilateral free trade agreements, and there's a reason for that. Okay. Uh, Devinder ji, wrap it up for us. What is the expectation from Nairobi? And you've already been very clear that if a bad deal is worse than no deal, so where do we go from here? You know, this argument uh, that I hear very often that it has been 15 years since Doha round began, and so there has to be some end to it, otherwise we cannot go in for infinity, I think is, uh, is again loaded because uh, uh, I would be very happy that on this, uh, in, in this, in the forthcoming Nairobi ministerial, if the developing countries put just one issue on the table and then want U.S. to have the final call on it, and that is cotton subsidies. <laughs> just say that we want, uh, the developing world has always been wanting cotton subsidies to go, just put that table or that, that issue on the table and you will see America running away. So America is always giving us an impression as if, you know, they've been very considered so far, but actually they've been protecting their home turf in a manner because they know the entire global community is always uh, standing with them or, you know, is in, is, in, is in tandem with what they are trying to say. Uh, I'm talking of those who are the, are the ones who call uh, shots. Uh, as far as public discourse is concerned. Now, having said that, this is one thing which I think if India was to be aggressive, just put cotton subsidies on the table, leave everything out, and you will see America will, will, will run away. Why I'm saying this is, it also, also brings into the role that this dispute panel has been playing. And I think there's a need to reform the dispute panel also and to re-look at the dispute panel. Now, it's very interesting. In 2005, I did an analysis where I worked out the cotton subsidies in America. America has about 20,000 cotton growers for the benefit of the viewers or listeners. America has about 20,000 growers. They're, they're, they produced in 2005 a cotton crop which in terms of value was $3.9 billion. The farmers were getting a subsidy of $4.7 billion to produce a crop of $3.9 billion. Now, that would kill farmers in, in, in the four African countries, uh, which, uh, which are known as C4, and also in India, Vidharva and so on, because the prices crash. Now, in addition to that, America was providing about $180 million to textile industry to buy the subsidized cotton from the farmers. And look at it. When Brazil took uh, America to the dispute panel, America applied, did the same for what is done in India, uh, tariq pe tariq, tariq pe tariq, and tariq pe tariq. But finally, it lost out to Brazil. 
when Brazil was allowed the countervailing duties, what America has done is a remarkable case of international bribery. They actually provided $147 million to Brazil every year for 10 years. That, I think, is the first international classic case of international bribery. And they did it. The dispute panel did not question. Nobody questioned. None of the countries have questioned why is Brazil not imposing contravening duties and in instead is being bribed by America to keep quiet. And I think that gives us a lesson now that in future also the dispute panel uh, would be manipulated in a way the rich countries can, uh, they can do so as to protect their own home turf. So the point is, we are at a crossroads now. We need to look at how these uh, things are playing out in the international arena. But more importantly, as I said, Nairobi Ministerial will be a test case for Indian agriculture and the future of Indian agriculture. So I only hope that the, that the Prime Minister and the others who go abroad do not make right kind of noises when they are in the domestic arena. They make, you know, to, to address the public gallery, they say all that we want to hear. But when they go internationally, they, they play a different role. And that's what I, I remember Gopal Pillay used to say, our chief negotiator at one time, he used to say that Indian team gets best in, in uh, Geneva and also get best back home. I think that's a tough job they have to do, but uh, I, considering that, I am sure that this time they will they will prefer to get bashed there rather than get bashed back home. I could not have wrapped it up better. I think green room caucuses, uh, taking dual stance intra-country and globally, and having unending conversations where America chooses to play and divide has, is all in a day's work of WTO. Full disclosure, uh, Pradeep Mehta and Devinder Sharma were joining off-site, uh, one from Chandigarh and one from Jaipur, so we could not take them as much as we should have. But uh, I think this, the fact that there was this really passionate debate and so much of ratcheted conversation also says how much it is relevant to our futures, our children's future and our shared destinies and precisely the reason why all of you, our listeners and we ourselves should care. Having said that, that was our curtain raiser episode for WTO 10th Ministerial. More equal playing field or same old, same old rigged rules. Only time will tell. Stay tuned to find out. We'll do the post-summit reactive too. We are breaking pattern in the next episode. We should not come with the next episode in a fortnight, but perhaps three weeks. That is by 14th or 15th December, because the Paris COP gets over on 11th December only, and going by past instances, it might get extended too. To our listeners, it has been great to get your comments and feedback. As you can see, we listen to our listeners, but this show is in danger of being low late rated like never before unless you listen, share, plug and promote more and more. So please, for all of you who are listening to this on SoundCloud, the reading reference links are available on News Laundry website for all the episodes when they get published. To access them, you have to go to www.newslaundry.com global summits where are we going thank you for listening to news laundry podcast global summits where are we going we would like to thank our collaborator save the children india the leading non-profit dedicated to children for their support in bringing this program to you this is part of their global campaign action 2015 to build public awareness and pressure on world leaders for a just global order and a just future for all this episode was produced by Mahima Singh from Team News Laundry. In the next episode, we'll react to the Paris COP21, which will be held in tight 
security in the shadow of Paris attacks. Our thoughts are with the victims of Paris, Beirut, Nigeria, and Mali, and every other place which has faced a terror attack or a counter-terror attack also. We would love to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. And for all of you supporting this show and wanting more, please promote, share, and use the show links. We need hits, much more hits, if we are to continue making more of this beyond the series. And please support independent media so you can decide where are we going. This is Birat Swain signing off from News Laundry. Catch all new episodes of Global Summit's Where Are We Going on newslaundry.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook.